This is a recording of Mine House is a House of Zion and Not a House of Babylon by Lauren Spendlove, published in Interpreter, a journal of Latter-day Saint faith and scholarship, read by Lauren Spendlove. Abstract. In Doctrine and Covenants 132.8, we read, quote, Behold, mine house is a house of order, saith the Lord God, and not a house of confusion, end quote. I propose that the words order and confusion in this passage are literary allusions to the ideals, constructs, and outcomes that embody Zion and Babylon respectively. In other words, God's house is a house of Zion and not a house of Babylon. Section 132 of the Doctrine and Covenants was dictated by Joseph Smith on the 12th of July, 1843, in Nauvoo, Illinois, but not published until 1852. The Joseph Smith Papers website includes the following concerning the historical background of this revelation. According to Joseph Smith, biblical and divine teachings provided the impetus for the revelation. In June 1844, Joseph Smith stated that he received the revelation on inquiry about Matthew 22.30 in the New Testament, which reads, For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. The revelation featured here begins by acknowledging questions Joseph Smith had about the Old Testament practice of polygamy. In addition to citing biblical precedent, the featured revelation foregrounds several theological explanations for the practice, including the ultimate authority of God's law, the blessings and eternal rewards for those entering into the practice, and the consequences of not following God's law for those who have had it revealed unto them but did not obey it. End quote. A key passage in this revelation reads, quote, and verily I say unto you that the conditions of this law are these. All covenants, contracts, bonds, obligations, oaths, vows, performances, connections, associations, or expectations that are not made and entered into and sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise of him who is anointed, both as well for time and for all eternity, and that too most holy, by revelation and commandment through the medium of mine anointed, whom I have appointed on the earth to hold this power, and I have appointed unto my servant Joseph to hold this power in the last days, and there is never but one on the earth at a time on whom this power and the keys of this priesthood are conferred, are of no efficacy, virtue, or force in and after the resurrection from the dead. For all contracts that are not made unto this end have an end when men are dead. End quote. In this verse, we are given a fairly comprehensive list of agreements and pledges, including covenants, contracts, bonds, obligations, oaths, vows, performances, connections, associations, or expectations. We are told that all these must be authorized and administered in the Lord's way, and that contracts that are not made unto this end have an end when men are dead. In short, the Lord has established an orderly system in which covenants, contracts, etc. may be entered into. This verse is immediately followed by, quote, Behold, mine house is a house of order, saith the Lord God, and not a house of confusion. End quote. 
I propose that the Lord's use of the words order and confusion in this verse can be understood as elusive references to Zion and Babylon, respectively. A House of Order It is apparent from the scriptures that order is important to God. Reflective of Paul's teaching to the saints in Corinth to, quote, Let all things be done decently and in order, end quote. The Lord repeatedly instructed the saints that all church matters were to be, quote, done in order, end quote. See Doctrine and Covenants 2068, 2813, and 5855. Twice in the Doctrine and Covenants we find the following counsel, quote, Organize yourselves, prepare every needful thing, and establish a house, even a house of prayer, a house of fasting, a house of faith, a house of learning, a house of glory, a house of order, a house of God. End quote. See Doctrine and Covenants 88.119 and 109.8. Paralleling this message, the Lord also instructed the church to, quote, set in order the churches, end quote, and to, quote, set in order all the affairs of this church and kingdom, end quote. If the message was not yet clear, the Lord also stated that, quote, mine house is a house of order, end quote. We also encounter this message of order within the church in the Book of Mormon. We are told that Alma II ordained priests and elders in the church in Zarahemla, quote, according to the order of God to preside and watch over the church, end quote. While this order could be a reference to the priesthood of the Holy Order of God, see Alma 13.6, based on its context, it may refer to a general sense of orderliness within the church itself. In verse 4 we read, quote, And thus they began to establish the order of the church in the city of Zarahemla. End quote. In this passage, the phrase, the order of the church, likely applies to orderliness within the organization and operation of the church. We know that soon after Alma I's arrival in the land of Zarahemla, quote, King Mosiah granted unto Alma that he might establish churches throughout all the land of Zarahemla, and gave him power to ordain priests and teachers over every church, end quote. Since priesthood authority was fundamental to the proper operation of the church in Zarahemla, we cannot infer that the order that Alma II began to establish represented the implementation of a new or different order of the priesthood within the church. Rather, it appears from context that the order that Alma II began to establish was greater orderliness within the church that most likely resulted from improved organizational structure and doctrinal understanding. Along the same vein, Elder Hiram G. Smith related the following in a general conference talk, quote, we have in the church a number of men who have been called and ordained to administer blessings unto the people, blessings of comfort, blessings of prophecy, when they are directed so to do. These men are given an office in the priesthood, and just because they have this office, it does not mean that they can bless everywhere and everybody, but like the bishops, elders, and other officers in the priesthood, they are given their particular field of labor. 
So we would have the Latter-day Saints understand that in the church, which is a part of the kingdom of God, there is order. And the officers of the priesthood are the men who should establish and maintain this order in the church, that the work of the Lord may go on with his blessings upon it. There are a number of members of the church who go about from place to place, from one ward and from one stake to another, seeking their blessings, which may be permissible if done in strict accordance with the established order of the church. Otherwise, they are out of order. End quote. Just as Alma II established the order of the church in the city of Zarahemla, Elder Smith explained that the officers of the priesthood have a responsibility to establish and maintain this order in the church today. After preaching and working with the church in Zarahemla, Alma II moved on to the land of Gideon. Mormon informs us that while in the land of Gideon, Alma II, quote, established the order of the church according as he had before done in the land of Zarahemla, end quote. Later, as Elder Smith would no doubt approve, we are told that, quote, Helaman and the high priest did also maintain order in the church, end quote. President Boyd K. Packer wrote the following regarding the interrelatedness of the words ordinance and ordain and how they are associated with the principle of order, especially in the house of the Lord. Quote, the word ordinance means a religious or ceremonial observance, an established rite. The Oxford English Dictionary gives us the first definition of the word order, arrangement in ranks or rows, and as the second definition, arrangement in sequence or proper relative position. At first glance, that may not strike a person as having much religious significance, but indeed it has. Among the ordinances we perform in the church are these, baptism, sacrament, naming and blessing of infants, administering to the sick, setting apart to callings in the church, ordaining to offices. In addition, there are higher ordinances performed in the temples. These include washings, anointings, the endowment, and the sealing ordinance, spoken of generally as temple marriage. The word ordinance comes from the word order, which means a rank, a row, a series. The word order appears frequently in the scriptures. Some examples are, establish the order of the church, all things should be restored to their proper order, all things may be done in order, mine house is a house of order. Mormon even defined depravity as being without order. The word ordain, a close relative to the other two words, has, as its first definition, to put in order, arrange, make ready, prepare, also to appoint or admit to the ministry of the Christian church by the laying on of hands or other symbolic action. From all this dictionary work, there comes the impression that an ordinance to be valid must be done in proper order, end quote. In addition to the etymological connection, order and ordinances are also linked in a cause-and-effect relationship. Faithful participation in ordinances helps create order in our lives. President Packer added that an ordinance is the, quote, ceremony by which all things are put in proper order, end quote, with the accompanying counsel to, quote, make sure, in other words, that valid ordinances become a part of your life 
that everything in this regard for you is in proper order. End quote. Orson Pratt explained that the New Jerusalem, the Latter-day Zion, is to be built differently from other cities on this earth. Rather than decaying and wasting away, the Lord will protect, preserve, and sanctify Latter-day Zion to prepare it to join a higher, perfect order. Quote, It is intended that it will be taken up to heaven when the earth passes away. It is intended to be one of those choice and holy places where the Lord will dwell, when he shall visit from time to time in the midst of the great Latter-day Zion, after it shall be connected with the city of Enoch. That, then, is the difference. The Lord our God will command his servants to build that temple in the most perfect order, differing very much from the temples that are now being built. You are engaged in building temples after a certain order, approximating only to a celestial order. You are doing this in Salt Lake City. One has already been erected in St. George, after a pattern, in part, of a celestial order. By and by, when we build a temple that is never to be destroyed, it will be constructed after the most perfect order of the celestial worlds. And when God shall take it up into heaven, it will be found to be just as perfect as the cities of more ancient celestial worlds, which have been pure and holy and immortal. So it will be with other temples. Set thine house in order. The Lord instructed the members of the church individually to, quote, Set in order your houses, keep slothfulness and uncleanness far from you, end quote. In addition, some leaders of the church were given specific counsel. For example, Frederick G. Williams was told to, quote, Set in order your own house, for there are many things that are not right in your house, end quote. Likewise, Sidney Rigdon was counseled to, quote, Set in order thy house, end quote. And Newell K. Whitney was instructed to, quote, Set in order his family, end quote. These instructions echo those given to King Hezekiah by the prophet Isaiah. Quote, In those days was Hezekiah sick unto death, and the prophet Isaiah the son of Amos came to him, and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. Second Kings 21. See also Isaiah 38.1. In this passage, Hezekiah was told to set his house in order, tzav lebetecha, or perhaps more literally, order your house. The verb translated as order, tzav, in this verse is derived from the root tzade vav he, which can carry the connotation of to command, to order, or to instruct. The counsel to Hezekiah to set his house in order, or to order or instruct his house, came by way of command from the Lord. It is interesting to note that the noun mitzvah, or commandment, is also derived from the root tzadevav he. So, setting one's house in order can be related to the concept of issuing and obeying commands, and to the idea of commandments themselves. In the Metsudat David, a work published by Rabbi David Altschuler of Prague in the 18th century, 
The phrase Tzav Lebetecha in Second Kings 21 is described as meaning there was a mitzvah or commandment about the affairs of your home. In Second Samuel 17 is related the story of Ahitopel, a counselor to King David. During Absalom's revolt against his father, Ahitopel betrayed King David and sided with Absalom. Following the discovery of Ahitopel's treachery, we are told that he, quote, "...gat himself to his house, to his city, and put his household in order, vayetzav el beto, and hanged himself and died." End quote. The verb yetzav, rendered put in order in the KJV, is the same verb that is used in Second Kings 21. Tzav, translated as set in order in the KJV. Both passages help us connect the verb letzavot, the infinitive of tzav and yetzav, and typically related to the idea of commanding, with the concept of setting or putting something in order. Zion. Although mentioned more than 150 times in the Hebrew Bible, the word Zion, Zion in Hebrew, does not appear until 2 Samuel 5.7. Quote, Nevertheless, David captured the fortress of Zion, which is the city of David. End quote. In this verse, as well as in 1 Kings 8.1, Zion is identified as being synonymous with the city of David. Isaiah idealized the concept of Zion, identifying it as the location of the mountain of the Lord, or of the house of the God of Jacob. Quote, And many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us concerning his ways, and that we may walk in his paths, for the law will go forth from Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. End quote. Although Jerusalem and Zion were once historically co-located in the city of David, they are not precisely the same thing. Saul Lipson explained that while Zion is eternal and incorruptible, Jerusalem, Zion's earthly substitute, is subject to corruption and ruin. Zion is eternal. God will reign there forever, and those who trust in God will be as eternal as Mount Zion. Jerusalem, on the other hand, experiences ups and downs, a great many changes of fortune. At times it is victorious, kings bring gifts to it, and it is good to stand within its gates. At other times, strangers come to Jerusalem, defile it, and convert it to a heap of ruins. When the psalmist speaks of ruins, he prefers the designation Jerusalem and avoids the name Zion. When he mentions the city in which blood is poured out as water, it is again Jerusalem, the political capital, which is associated with such a tragic event, while the more hallowed name of Zion is reserved for happier occasions. A person who longs for holiness wants to come up to be seen before God in Zion rather than in Jerusalem, since Jerusalem carries a more secular thought association. End quote. The prophet Jeremiah spoke of a future day when the children of Israel would seek the Lord in Zion. Quote, they will ask for the way to Zion, turning their faces in its direction. They will come that they may join themselves to the Lord in an everlasting covenant that will not be forgotten. End quote. A passage in the Doctrine and Covenants parallels this message from Jeremiah. Quote, 
And it shall come to pass that the righteous shall be gathered out from among the nations, and shall come to Zion, singing with songs of everlasting joy. End quote. Both passages likely reference a spiritual Zion, wherever the pure in heart are gathered, rather than a physical Zion in the city of David. In addition, in the Doctrine and Covenants, the Lord counsels his people to, quote, Go ye forth unto the land of Zion, that the borders of my people may be enlarged, and that her stakes may be strengthened, and that Zion may go forth unto the regions round about. As the Lord's people go forth to Zion, Zion expands and goes forth to the world. Hence the call for those who are among the Gentiles to flee to Zion. Concerning Zion, Elder D. Todd Christofferson taught, quote, Zion is Zion because of the character, attributes, and faithfulness of her citizens. Remember, the Lord called his people Zion because they were of one heart and one mind, and dwelt in righteousness, and there was no poor among them. If we would establish Zion in our homes, branches, wards, and stakes, we must rise to this standard. It will be necessary, one, to become unified in one heart and one mind, Two, to become individually and collectively a holy people. And three, to care for the poor and needy with such effectiveness that we eliminate poverty among us. We cannot wait until Zion comes for these things to happen. Zion will come only as they happen. In other words, spiritual Zion can be established only when individuals and communities unify, practice holiness, and care for their poor and needy. King Benjamin taught his people that they were to, quote, impart of their substance to the poor, every man according to that which he hath, such as feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, visiting the sick, and administering to their relief, both spiritually and temporally, according to their wants or deficiencies, end quote. However, he also cautioned that, quote, all these things are done in wisdom and order, end quote. Not only is order required in administering relief to the poor, but greater order is also a likely byproduct of these actions. Hugh Nibley succinctly stated that, quote, Zion is the eternal order, end quote. Adding to this idea, Philip L. Barlow wrote, quote, Expanding on what the Bible only hints at, Smith's revelation says that Enoch's people were called Zion because they were of one heart and one mind, and dwelt in righteousness, and there was no poor among them. Zion, a divinely organized utopia, was thus ever more distinguished in Mormon conceptions from the ancient or typological nation Israel. End quote. Paralleling Orson Pratt's teaching that the temple to be built in the New Jerusalem, the Latter-day Zion, would be after a perfect celestial order, Nibley explained that Zion is any community in which the celestial order prevails. Quote, Zion is a code word denoting a very real thing. Zion is any community in which the celestial order prevails. Zion is the pure in heart, but Zion is also a real city or any number of real cities. It is a constant. It is unchanging. There are Zions among all the worlds, and there are Zions that come and go. 
Zion is a constant in time and place. It belongs to the order of the eternities. End quote. The author of Hebrews wrote, quote, You have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. End quote. Regarding this verse, Nibley added, quote, It's the heavenly Jerusalem, the eternal order. If we are to go on forever, there has to be a perfect order. It can't be defective. Any building, any structure, will be destroyed by time if there is any defect in it at all. Time will work on that. And in our human relationships, in the order that exists here, a perfect order is practically impossible. Human order is a day-to-day, makeshift sort of thing, not the sort of thing that can go from eternity to eternity." Eternal, perfect order is only to be found in Zion. Human order is transitory and corruptible. It is defective. But heavenly order, which can only exist in Zion and is synonymous with it, is of the incorruptible sort. Order and harmony are the natural results of obedience to God's laws and commandments, mitzvot, and they also divine Zion, Zion. Disobedience, on the other hand, is the domain of Babylon and leads to chaos and confusion. Quote, Order is heaven's first law, says the poet. It is not so. Order is not heaven's first law, but the result of heaven's first law, obedience. Once in that happy realm of our pre-existence did ugly disobedience raise his discordant head, and for a time banished chaos re-entered the heavenly portals, leaving her hideous tracks of ruin and confusion, where peace and union had reigned as supreme and universal as the light of eternal day, but only for a brief season. End quote. The Order of Zion In a revelation to the prophet Joseph fewer than two years after the church was organized, the Lord instructed the church to establish a new economic, social, and religious order, the United Order. Soon after, Joseph received additional instructions concerning this order. Quote, For Zion must increase in beauty and in holiness, her borders must be enlarged, her stakes must be strengthened. Yea, verily I say unto you, Zion must arise and put on her beautiful garments. Therefore I give unto you this commandment, that ye may bind yourselves by this covenant, and it shall be done according to the laws of the Lord. Behold, here is wisdom also in me for your good. And you are to be equal, or in other words, you are to have equal claims on the properties. For the benefit of managing the concerns of your stewardships, every man according to his wants and needs, inasmuch as his wants are just, and all this for the benefit of the church of the living God, that every man may improve upon his talent, that every man may gain other talents, yea, even an hundredfold, to be cast into the Lord's storehouse, to become the common property of the whole church, every man seeking the interest of his neighbor, and doing all things with an eye single to the glory of God. This order I have appointed to be an everlasting order unto you, and unto your successors, inasmuch as you sin not. End quote. Rather than a worldly order in which everyone looks out for their own interests, this order was to be a heavenly order, the order of Zion. 
following the death of his son joseph brigham young wrote the following regarding his son's efforts to establish the united order among the saints Quote, i have had much comfort and satisfaction in the last days of joseph's mortal journey upon the earth he had labored with great zeal diligence and wisdom in establishing the united order in the midst of the saints in severe county by whom he was highly respected as a president and greatly beloved as a brother his labors in establishing the order of zion amongst the saints under his watch care were greatly blessed of the lord like the nephites following the resurrection of christ the early old world christians also practiced a type of united order quote, and the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and one soul neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own but they had all things common End quote. nibley also referred to the united order or order of zion as the order of enoch or order of adam quote, in all this the early christians conscientiously followed the ancient order of enoch the order was constantly on their lips and it in turn went back to the order of adam we find many references to these things now that we didn't even know twenty years ago the only person who knew was joseph smith the order was not invented by the apostles the dead sea scrolls show us that the sectaries of the desert the people out in the desert trying to live the old law of israel always followed these rules and always identified themselves with the order of zion or enoch the basic idea of the united order was that every man would seek the interest of his neighbor rather than looking out for their own interests more specifically members of the church were to follow the example of christ quote, I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. End quote. President Wilford Woodruff stated, quote, It has been promised that the new Jerusalem will be built up in our day and generation, and it will have to be done by the united order of Zion, and according to celestial law, and not only so, but we have to keep that law ourselves if we ever inherit that kingdom for no man will receive a celestial glory unless he abides a celestial law don sorensen wrote quote, the prophets always labor to prepare people to become a people of zion sometimes people embrace zion most often they do not End quote while the early saints were not successful in firmly establishing the united order of zion according to celestial law the hope and expectation is that one day the lord's people will come to reject flawed and corruptible human attempts at creating order and embrace the celestial perfect and eternal order of zion babylon nibley accurately observed quote, we can't discuss zion very long without running into babylon because babylon is in all things the counterpart of zion it is described just as fully clearly and vividly in the scriptures as zion is and usually in direct relationship to it just as zion the way of light and life is synonymous with righteousness and order babylon the way of darkness and death stands for wickedness and confusion quote, throughout the scriptures zion is brought into the clearest focus by placing it against a dark background and like zion that background world is given a code name babylon 
Babylon, like Zion, is a real society, a type, place, and environment of human existence described in the scriptures with great clarity and precision. The word Babylon is not just a general term to indicate anything that is not Zion. It is the designation of a very particular and specific type of society. Though Babylon is vividly described by the prophets, the best way to define her is as the exact opposite of Zion in all things. Babylon is just as pure in its way as Zion. It is pure evil. For even good, when it becomes contaminated and perverted, becomes an evil. The main thing is that Babylon and Zion cannot mix in any degree. A Zion that makes concessions is no longer Zion. One may well ask if it is necessary to choose between such absolute extremes, and wonder if there is not some more moderate approach to the problems. By the very nature of the things, there is no third way. As the early Jewish and Christian writers remind us repeatedly in their doctrine of the two ways, According to this oldest and best established of teachings, though quite unpopular with the conventional Christianity and Judaism of our time, there are two ways lying before every person in this life, the way of light and the way of darkness, the way of life and the way of death. And every mortal, every day of his life is required to make a choice between them. Unfortunately, for our peace of mind, any compromise between the two ways is out of the question, since they lead in opposite directions. End quote. While the scriptures are replete with the Lord's pleading counsel to come to Zion, they also instruct us to escape from Babylon. Quote, Go ye out from Babylon, be ye clean that bear the vessels of the Lord. Yea, verily I say unto you again, the time is come when the voice of the Lord is unto you. Go ye out of Babylon, gather ye out from among the nations, from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Go ye out from among the nations, even from Babylon, from the mist of wickedness, which is spiritual Babylon. Ho, Zion, escape, you who are living with the daughter of Babylon. End quote. Jeremiah prophesied that the vengeance of the Lord our God would come out against physical and spiritual Babylon, resulting in her destruction. Quote, there is a sound of fugitives and refugees from the land of Babylon to declare in Zion the vengeance of the Lord our God, vengeance for his temple. Summon many against Babylon, all those who bend the bow, encamp against her on every side, let there be no escape. Repay her according to her work, according to all that she has done, so do to her. For she has become arrogant against the Lord, against the Holy One of Israel. End quote. A Hebrew Etymology of Babylon in the account of the Tower of Babel in the book of Genesis, we are given a Hebrew etymology for the name Babel, or Babylon. Quote, Therefore, its name was called Babel, Babel, because there the Lord confused Balal, the language of the whole earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the whole earth. End quote. As can be observed from the two Hebrew words above, 
Babel, or Bavel in Hebrew, is not an exact match for confused, or Balal in Hebrew, but for the author of Genesis, the two words were close enough to create a literary connection. Immanuel Kasanowitz clarified that the relationship between Babel, or Babylon, and confused is not actually an etymology, but a paranomasia, or wordplay. Quote, Bavel is derived from Balal, mix, confuse, as if it were a contraction of Balbel, meaning confused. But it is known from the Assyrian cuneiform inscriptions that Babilu, the corresponding Assyrian name of the city, is a compound of Bab, gate, and Elu, god, the gate of God. But in many cases, it is quite apparent that it is not an etymology which is intended, but a paronomasia. The linguistic wordplay in Genesis has led Jewish and Christian scholars and commentators to inextricably connect Babylon with the idea of confusion and chaos. The Babylonians, of course, did not name their city confused. Rather, as Kasanowitz stated, they called it Babilu, sometimes the plural Babilim, or Gate of God. Ron Begalk wrote that, quote, Although the name Babylon is derived from the Akkadian word Babilu, meaning Gate of God, it is an evident counterfeit of God's eternal city, Zion, end quote. Chaim Angel added the very likely possibility that the Hebrew connection of Babel, Babel, with confusion, Balal, was simply a sarcastic midrash on the original Akkadian name. Quote, we now can understand the Torah's explanation for the city name Babel, confusion. The Babylonians called their city Babel, from the Akkadian Bab Ilim, the gate of the god. They considered their city to be the religious center of the world. The Hebrew etymology, then, is a midrash of the Torah to mock the Babylonians. You think you are the gate of God, but in fact you are completely confused. Quote. The Confusion of Babylon If Zion represents order, Babylon, as the antithesis of Zion, appropriately stands for confusion and chaos. In the initial chapter of Genesis, we read that God created order out of chaos or confusion. Quote, and the earth was without form, tohu, and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. End quote. While the KJV renders the word tohu as without form, it can also be understood as chaos or confusion. Begalk added, quote, The city founded by Nimrod, Babylon, was renowned for its pride and rebellion. Its pagan worship of false gods was the beginning of the degeneration from monotheism to polytheism and reached a climax when its inhabitants sought equality with God. God turned human ambition and ingenuity against him at Babel into chaos and confusion, end quote. Speaking of the condition of the religious world today, President John Taylor said, quote, It is Babylon or confusion, confusion in ideas, confusion in regard to doctrine, confusion in regard to ordinances, etc. End quote. President Lorenzo Snow added, quote, 
What did we come here for? We came to build up Zion, not to build up Babylon. The voice of the Almighty called us from the midst of confusion, which is Babylon, to form a union and a lovely brotherhood in which we should love one another as we love ourselves. When we depart from this purpose, the Spirit of God withdraws from us to the extent of that departure. But if we continue in the extent of those covenants which we have made when we receive the gospel, there is a corresponding increase of light and intelligence, and there is a powerful preparation for that which is to come. And because of our faithfulness and our adherence to the covenants we have made, the foundation upon which we stand becomes like the pillars of heaven, immovable." Paul taught that, quote, For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. End quote. While a prisoner in Liberty Jail, Joseph explained that the devil, the founder of Babylon and the author of confusion, has filled the world with confusion, resulting in corruption and iniquity. Quote, it is an imperative duty that we owe to God, to angels with whom we shall be brought to stand, and also to ourselves, to our wives and our children, who have been made to bow down with grief, sorrow, and care under the most damning hand of murder, tyranny, and oppression, supported and urged on and upheld by the influence of that spirit which hath so strongly riveted the creeds of the fathers, who have inherited lies upon the hearts of the children, and filled the world with confusion, and has been growing stronger and stronger, and is now the very mainspring of all corruption, and the whole earth groans under the weight of its iniquity. So what is the cause of this confusion, and how do we get out from under it? When we abandon the way of Zion, the way of order, and follow the way of Babylon, confusion and disorder are the natural results. President John Taylor taught that when we follow our own theories, ideas, and opinions, Babylon, confusion, and disorder prevails. Quote, We have come out of Babylon. We have come out of confusion. There is confusion in the world everywhere. Men teach their own theories, ideas, and opinions, and hence confusion and disorder prevail in the world. End quote. President Taylor's teaching echoes the Lord's words in the introduction to the Doctrine and Covenants. Quote, they seek not the Lord to establish his righteousness, but every man walketh in his own way, and after the image of his own God, whose image is in the likeness of the world, and whose substance is that of an idol, which waxeth old and shall perish in Babylon, even Babylon the great, which shall fall. End quote. Satan, as the founder of Babylon, intentionally sows tares among the wheat to create confusion and disorder in an attempt to choke the wheat and drive the church into the wilderness. Quote, and after they have fallen asleep, the great persecutor of the church, the apostate, the whore, even Babylon, that maketh all nations to drink of her cup, in whose hearts the enemy, even Satan, sitteth to reign, Behold, he soweth the tares. Wherefore, the tares choke the wheat and drive the church into the wilderness. End quote. It is interesting to note that one of the reasons for the issuance of the manifesto, which officially ended the practice of plural marriage in the church, was to keep confusion or Babylon out of Zion. If the church had not stopped the practice, quote, 
confusion would reign throughout Israel, end quote. Official Declaration 1. The solution to removing ourselves from Babylon, from confusion, is to live our lives individually and collectively following the path of Zion, the way of order. The Lord commanded the saints to gather unto the land of Zion, but he also cautioned them, quote, And now behold, this is the will of the Lord your God concerning his saints, that they should assemble themselves together unto the land of Zion, not in haste, lest there should be confusion, which bringeth pestilence, end quote. Just as King Benjamin counseled his people that providing for the poor and needy must be done in wisdom and order, assembling to spiritual Zion must also be an orderly process. Babylon, or confusion, will find its way into our lives and into the body of the church unless we conduct our affairs according to the celestial heavenly order which is Zion. Conclusion Richard Smith wrote the lyrics to the favorite hymn, Israel, Israel, God is Calling. The first stanza of that hymn reads, quote, Israel, Israel, God is calling, calling thee from lands of woe. Babylon the great is falling. God shall all her towers o'erthrow. Come to Zion, come to Zion, ere his floods of anger flow. Come to Zion, come to Zion, ere his floods of anger flow. End quote. The fall of Babylon is a certainty, as is the establishment of Zion in the last days. What is not certain is whether we, as individuals, will heed the call to flee from Babylon and come to Zion. While Zion represents the celestial, perfect, eternal order of heaven, Babylon typifies the chaos, confusion, and corruption of the world. Like oil and water, Zion and Babylon cannot mix. The oil of Zion must triumphantly rise above the waters of the rivers of Babylon. The Lord will not tolerate the confusion and chaos of Babylon to be mingled with the order and perfection of Zion, perhaps as a cautionary metaphor against attempting to mix Zion with Babylon. The Lord instructed the Israelites, quote, "You are to keep my statutes. You shall not crossbreed two kinds of your cattle." You shall not sow your field with two kinds of seed, nor wear a garment of two kinds of material mixed together. End quote. Nibley added, quote, This then is how things stand. One, we know what Zion is. Two, we know what Babylon is. Three, we know that the two can never mix. And four, we know that the Latter-day Saints, against the admonitions of their leaders, have always tried to mix them. End quote. Elder George F. Richards taught that of all God's handiwork, we are the only disobedient elements of his creation. Through the improper exercise of agency, our disobedience to God's commandments attempts to replace the order and organization of Zion with the confusion and conflict of Babylon. Quote, order then follows obedience unto the commandments and the laws of God. The law by which the universe is governed is the law of God. We may call it the law of nature, but the law of nature is the law of God, and all his creations, excepting man, are obedient. Hence the beautiful order which we see in all nature. If they were disobedient, as man is disobedient, there would be universal confusion, disorder, and annihilation.
Man only of all the creatures of God disobeys his command and disregards the law which he has framed for our guidance and government, that order and perfection might be established. This because of man's agency. This is the point which I desire to call to your attention, that the law which God has given to us for our government is a divine law, and just as perfect as are the laws by which the universe is governed. And if we would be as obedient as are the elements and his other creations, we would be perfect and all would be in harmony and order. End quote. Finally, President Joseph F. Smith taught that the gospel of Jesus Christ involves, quote, obedience to the truth, submission to the order that God has established in his house, for the house of God is a house of order and not a house of confusion, end quote. Or in other words, God's house is a house of Zion and not a house of Babylon. This has been a recording of Mine House is a House of Zion and Not a House of Babylon by Lauren Spendlove, published in Interpreter, a Journal of Latter-day Saint Faith and Scholarship, Volume 48, 2021, read by Lauren Spendlove. This audio recording is copyrighted under a Creative Commons license and may be freely distributed if it remains unchanged, the journal and its website are credited, and is for non-commercial use. A printed version of this and many other articles can be found at journal.interpreterfoundation.org. More information about the Interpreter Foundation, along with a wide variety of additional resources, can be found at interpreterfoundation.org.